Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. There's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. So, happy holidays to all of you out there. I appreciate you making some time for me this week. Maybe you're listening to me in your car on the way to a family gathering or party with friends or to return or exchange a gift whatever it is thank you for making me a part of your yuletide and in the spirit of time off which i assume some of you are taking i'm punting my intended episode on zion williamson and how he's starting to do a few things that caught my attention in a positive way in order to take stock of where the nba is right now both the promising aspects that should be acknowledged, as well as a few things that could threaten the league from continuing to be a robust, popular entity. Because they reflect how disconnected I sense some fans are beginning to feel about what the game means to them and what it means to the people who play it. And since we're nearing the end of 2022, this felt like a good time to take stock. It seems one of the things that we do this time of year. So there are several things about this season that are incredibly encouraging that reflect the state of the NBA. I just did a piece actually talking to a number of scouts, GMs, head coaches, and I was somewhat surprised at how many of them were feeling so positive about the way the game's being played, about the entertainment value, uh, and if the NBA were a mess or failing, then that would have to be the focus. And as much as some of you might have issues, certain issues with the product, the truth is that franchise valuations wouldn't continue to double and double again in the billions as they have if the game that the NBA is presenting didn't have an audience. We can quibble about what that game looks like and how it compares but to the past, that is. But the fact of the matter is, whatever they're doing, it seems to be 
they're doing it right. And some of you, on the other hand, might say, I'm overreacting when you hear what it is that I think the NBA should be concerned about. And maybe it's just in my nature that when things are good, that's when I become vigilant to make sure there isn't slippage, that the good times continue to roll. That's my perspective and approach in my personal life, and I'm applying it here to the NBA. So what's good? Well, let's start with the next legion of stars. Not only are they electric performers, they are outstanding team leaders, and their primary focus seems to be on winning. Giannis Antetokounmpo, John Morant, Luka Doncic, Nikola Jokic, Darius Garland, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, they all have different personalities. But one of the common denominators, when I think of all of them, is how much they care about winning first and foremost. Not being stars, not being recognized, winning and leading their teams to win. And maybe those attributes sound as if they should be a given, but as we know, now I'm sounding a little bit like Hubie Brown, that isn't and hasn't always been the case. And I'm not ragging on the most, re- and this is not a way of ragging about on LeBron James or Steph Curry or Kevin Durant or any of the current guys. Although at various times, certainly with KD and LeBron, you could question, are they really all about winning? Can't do that with Steph. But I just look across the board at the next wave of potential faces of the league. And it feels as if the league is a, a very good place. And think about the stars that you root for and the amount of exposure they have and how controversy-free the vast majority of them are. Kyrie Irving stands out, not just because he's in New York and a supremely talented, outspoken player. He stands out because it's hard to find any other players sowing discord the way that he does. And even his discord doesn't have the same dark, vicious, ugly feel. Well, the anti-Semitism was a little much, but it felt like someone who was just uninformed and naive as opposed to was purposely going out to hurt someone. The incidents with Antonio Brown or Trevor Bauer may not be as globally large as what Kyrie has stepped into, but they also feel a lot more vicious. That makes sense. So there's that, the next legion of stars and how the league appears to be in good hands. And then there's the speed of the game. It's something I'm going to revisit later in this podcast from a different angle. The speed of the game is truly breathtaking. Some of it now is the rules that encourage free movement. Some of it is the dearth of rim protectors emboldening any player as he crosses half court with a running start to attack the rim. But the fact is, the game has adapted to today's entertainment demands. It's no huddle football just about all game long. I wish the style of play was a little more balanced if for no other reason than the individual offensive numbers in today's game 
wouldn't mislead newer fans that the best players in today's game are vastly better than the players of previous eras because their percentages or their averages or whatever it might be are higher. I saw a post that showed LeBron is averaging close to the same points and rebounds and assists that he did 19 years ago, year 2003 versus this season. And uh, with a note about they, they're still waiting for LeBron to fall off. I, look, the, having numbers that replicate what he did in 2003, that is pretty impressive. What was missing is he hasn't always replicated those numbers every year along the way. But in any case, comparing 2003 to now, that's not proof that LeBron is the same player. Anybody watching him knows he's not the same player. Clearly not the same player. And that's not a knock. Of course he's not. About to turn 38. No one could be. Tom Brady's not the same player. Aaron Rodgers isn't the same player. Uh, so what it's proof of is how much the game is now tailored to gifted players with the ball in their hands along with LeBron now playing as a point center most games rather than a small forward because he's the biggest player on the on the floor most games and I'll say it again for those who aren't clear about where I stand LeBron is a great player an all-time great player he's just quite clearly not in the running for greatest. Moving on. Speaking of rules, by eliminating some of the more extreme ones, some changes that have happened over time, but some that have just happened for this season, because I'm talking about everything from the illegal defense rules that practically enforced isolation or two-on-two -two basketball until they were eliminated in 2001, and by the way, another reason why we can't compare today's numbers to numbers in the past. And I kind of forgotten about how slow the game was as a result of illegal defense. But it very much slowed it down because playing methodically was much smarter, at least until the three-point shot became popular. I, I, what's an interesting thought is how the game might have been different if teams had thought out of the box back then during illegal defense and said, we're going to shoot threes. In any case, it was, you're getting the ball on the post. Because of the illegal defense rules, you had to double team immediately or let a player go one-on-one. -on -one. If you double teamed immediately, well, then there was a wide open shot from someplace. Wide, wide open. You didn't have to get, like, I mean, literally, teams, players had to fully commit to the, to the double team. They couldn't hedge as so many teams do now. They still did on the weak side. They got away with a little zone on the weak side. But strong side, it was basically a game of two-on-two two or two-on-three if a team decided to double. That's a completely different thing. Then it was get it in the post. Our guy's going to go one-on-one. -on -one. He's either going to score or get fouled. That causes, you got to set up, get the ball into the post, do all that. Slows the game way down. Changes the numbers dramatically. In any case, that's, I 
didn't realize how what, an, what a great idea it was to get rid of that. But it has. It's taken a while to evolve. Great idea. Uh, elimination of take fouls to stop fast breaks. Brilliant. Glad to see that happened. Uh, and turning back the clock on what constitutes traveling. That has to be satisfying to some of the old school fans. And if there's any move that has evened the scales in favor of defensive players in the last 15 years, it's this. They're leading the game back overall. They're leading the game back to its pure roots. Uh, let's give a shout out to the individual offensive artistry as well. The shooting, the ridiculously creative drives, the tight handles, the mid-range games return to fashion, all of that. That doesn't happen without guys putting in time. Now, there isn't a player in today's game who can hold a candle to Michael Jordan's fundamentals. But the percentage of players who have a complete toolkit, who can handle, who can shoot, who can pass, has tripled easily. Well, except for the passing. I wish I'd written down which game I was watching, although I saw it again on Christmas Day. But a few, bit, few days before Christmas, I was watching a game and, and witnessed two teams have back-to-back three-on-two fast, fast breaks that didn't even result in a shot because both teams attempted a lob from one wing to the far side of the rim for the other wing to dunk. And had they simply spaced the floor properly and forced the first defender to make a decision, they could have had a layup or a dunk. But that approach to a fast break, I fully realize, is quaint. Again, this is probably a plus for today's game because what I'm seeing is that defenders are beginning to read that fast breaks have become predictable. Guys either trying to get to the rim or throwing a lob. And so when it comes down to two options, it becomes relatively easy to juke an attacking player, especially with, I believe, the impact of social media. Guys don't want to get blocked at the rim. So the second that you make them think you're coming to get the ball, they're throwing the lob to the backside. So if you can juke that, if you can make the guy think you're coming and then lay back, you got a great chance of breaking that up. And here's the truth. Today's players seem to be so adaptable that I have no doubt that superior passing and creativity can be worked back into the game if teams see an advantage to doing so. Now, for those who may not know, I've been a firm skeptic of load management and all the ring dings and doohickeys now being employed to measure how hard hearts are beating, sweat is pouring, oxygen is being consumed, and muscles are tiring in the NBA on a daily basis. I am perplexed that rest is being prescribed as freely as it is for the solution to everything while injuries, significant injuries, soft tissue injuries, seem to be happening as much or more than ever before. Let's put it this way. All that sports medicine and body science hasn't changed the trajectory of Anthony Davis or Kawhi Leonard or 
in recent years, Steph Curry. Yeah, Steph. We tend to forget how many injuries he has had in the last four years. And the Warriors have certainly utilized load management, reducing his minutes. The fact is he's had three major injuries. A broken wrist with nerve damage in his hand that cost him all but five games of the 2019-20 season. A torn ligament in his left ankle after Marcus Smart inadvertently landed on it last season. And now a left shoulder injury that is going to force him to miss a minimum of two weeks. Now, you can say, oh, those were kind of freak injuries. The truth is that when you get older and you get just a little bit slower, that those injuries happen more frequently. Rather than being clear of somebody diving for the ball, now you're getting caught up in the wash. It's subtle, but that's why not just, look, there's non-contact injuries. Those happen all the time, and we're seeing plenty of those as well. But in the case of Steph, I would argue that one of the reasons he's seen these injuries, this spate of injuries in the last few years, is simply a product of you can only do so much as you grow older to avoid the slight decline in your overall abilities. Now, I was complaining to a GM a few weeks ago about how all these players having the option not to play has to be a turnoff for fans and can't be good for the health of the league. And he said that I sounded like the people that he talked to recently in the league office. Apparently, they have very much the same concerns. They're aware of it. They're aware of that disconnect. But it's not as simple as having the league find a way to mandate that players play more games. At least, I no longer think so. In part because of what I mentioned just a few minutes ago about how much time players put in to developing the skills that make them all-around dazzling players today. To take the position that load management, load management is a complete crock is also to believe that the science and medical information is a ruse, an excuse not to play players. And we certainly got enough questions, enough people out there questioning science and medicine. I don't want to be one of those people. I always look at what's the motivation. So motivation is to have your best players healthy and available, and to win as much as possible. Sitting them, not playing them, who does that benefit? Not the team. I don't necessarily see a benefit for the medical staff one way or the other too, which is something that has often been proposed, that teams have expanded their medical staffs, and now the people on the medical staffs have to justify their existence, and so they micromanage and they become far more involved. I look at it as now that their value would be just as great if players required attention so they could play 82 games as to the way things are now, which is to navigate how many of the 82 games should be played in order to have the player as healthy and available at the end of the season as he was at the start. I don't believe that those two are mutually exclusive anymore. I think the games that guys are missing are, uh, they need to be missed. 
in order to have a guy be able to stay healthy. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And here's why. This is what began to shift my thinking or to at least entertain the idea that load management is a necessary tool in today's game. And it was a conversation that I had with Eric Gordon of the Houston Rockets. Now, anybody who's followed Gordon's career knows that he has by no means been an Iron Man. He's only cracked the 70 game mark in a season twice in his 14 previous seasons. He will, well, he did turn. 34 on Christmas. His injury history in hindsight actually doesn't surprise me. At 6'3 and 215 215 pounds or so, he is built for the grinding game of the 90s, not the up and down style that's been made fashionable by the seven seconds or less Phoenix Suns. Gordon played for the offensive architect of those Suns teams, by the way, Mike D'Antoni in Houston. He's also played for the grinded-out approach of Mike Dunleavy with the LA Clippers and early Monty Williams in New Orleans. And I tell you all that because I not only weigh my own inherent biases, and yes, I know I have them as I try to reach conclusions. I consider those of the people I talk to for information or insight as well. I consider their biases inherent. Maybe some that they don't realize they have. And what I appreciate about Gordon's perspective is that he has played on teams that were among the top five in pace and had no problem with it. That's when he had some of his most durable seasons. But according to him, the pace being played now combined with the length and athleticism of today's players, is a whole other animal. In short, he believes that the physical toll of playing this fast and having to contort your body to get over or around today's super long, super quick players is a demand never seen before. And I believe him. Now, I am sure there are players that exploit the load management concept, that take advantage of the medical staff's cautious approach to sit out a few extra games every year, knowing that the further they extend their careers, the more mega contracts they will be eligible to sign. But, and I would say that's just human nature. But I don't think it's as widespread as maybe I originally believed. There are plenty of players Steph Curry being one, Damian Lillard, John Morant, Marcus Smart, Kevin Durant, Luka Doncic being others, who won't ever play 82 games or anything close again because it's not humanly possible, but not because they wouldn't want to. Guys who love to play and would play at every opportunity. They're not making business decisions. And yet, of the 600 players who played last season, Only five 
played in all 82 games. The five were the five Ironmen, <laughs> Kavan Looney, Sadiq Bey, Dwight Powell, Denny Adija, and Mikhail Bridges. And if you look at them, only Mikhail Bridges is the crazy one who played 35 minutes a game last year and is averaging 36 this year. And, well, one of the things working in his favor is that he's 26 years old. That helps. I look at uh, Looney. Looney is a role player. Yes, he starts. Averaged 21 minutes per game last year, 23 this year. Dwight Powell, 22 minutes last year, 17 this year. The guys playing all 82 games in a season generally are not playing 30-plus minutes. Mikael Bridges is the lone exception. And I would take a look at how he's built and what he's asked to do offensively. Not, doesn't have to make crazy drives, doesn't have to contort his body quite the same way. So I believe that's one of the reasons why he's the exception to the rule as far as load managing and still being durable, at least so far. Uh, I tried to figure out how many players have played in every eligible game this season to this point, but with not every team having played the same number, it just became a little too complicated to sort out. I will be surprised, though, if the numbers overall are any better than they've been in the last two years. Two years ago, it was 11 players who played all 82 games, if I'm not mistaken. It's now standard issue that players, no matter what their role, take a few games off. Other concern that I have, aside from the league not making it more understanding of why players are load managing, like help people understand how much more demanding the game is today. Because I believe if, if all that information, all of that bioscience that they're collecting from the players if that was somehow shared with the public and the public fans understood that what's being asked of players today in a game is greater than what was asked of them physically 10, 15, 20 years ago, they would accept the new reality that guys can't play 82 games. Now, I realize there are a lot of hoops to jump through when it comes to disclosing medical information. And maybe it wouldn't be on an individual basis, but a collective one in order to navigate that because teams are very reluctant to put that out. The players union would be very reluctant to put out individual information on how players are being taxed by the game. But collectively, just to give the public an understanding that today's game is more demanding that today's players aren't necessarily softer or mentally weaker or all the things that we hear, I believe that that would serve the, the league very well. Now, the other concern I have was raised by a report, again, this is not from the NBA, but from the NFL, uh, a report about a group of San Francisco 49ers veterans who stuck the team's rookies a dinner bill that 
according to the report, ran more than $320,000. Now, when it was put out there, outrage, not disbelief, ensued on social media. And even after 49ers defensive end Eric Armstead, one of the veterans, clarified that it was a prank, not on the rookies, but everyone who saw the report on social media and that the bill was actually closer to $7,500, of which the rookies were made to cover $4,500 worth, there remained healthy skepticism that Armstead was telling the truth, that he wasn't just trying to cover the punitive bill that the veterans stuck the rookies with. That reaction, the public reaction, is a concern for me because it reflects how skewed the perception of the lives that professional athletes live has become. Let's just do some math, simple math here, because simple math is basically the only kind of math that I'm actually capable of. The total numbers of players, the total number of players, excuse me, attending the dinner was not given. But it certainly sounded far less than the entire team. Maybe a dozen players at the most. But let's pretend just for a minute that it was the entire team. That's $6,000 spent by every player on the meal. And if we're talking about what is more, far more likely, it was that it was more than a dozen players a $320,000 bill would come out to more than $26,000 a head for dinner. And yet people believed that actually happened. People believed, some people still believe. And look, I don't care how expensive the wine is or how big the steaks were or how old the after-dinner liqueur was. That is one astronomical amount of cash to be thrown down for a meal. Now, maybe someplace in the world, someone once upon a time has paid that. I would still think it wouldn't be, it would be for more than a dozen people. But in any case, the restaurant would have to be known for providing culinary experiences that warranted that kind of bill. That would be a one-of-a-kind restaurant. I happen to be scrolling through Twitter and caught a clip of Terry Bradshaw, a Fox Sports colleague of mine now and former quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And it was from 1972. And the reason I bring this up because it illustrates what I'm talking about here in terms of the disconnect now versus then. Bradshaw uh, was pulling up to Three Rivers Stadium where the Steelers play in a Ford pickup truck. I'm assuming that it was called Three River Stadium back then. And anyway, pulls up in a what looked like a yellow Ford pickup truck. And he looked very much like a regular dude, which in fact he was and I would imagine still is. Because that's what athletes were once. Fairly regular dudes who drove trucks and bought groceries and went to movies with other regular folk. What made them beloved 
is that they could do things on a field or court that the regular folk could not, in spite of being regular folk in every other way. Now, it's still that way, maybe more so than ever, as far as what athletes are capable of doing in the games that they play compared to the average Joe. But here's where things have shifted. The rest of their lives appear to have become extraordinary as well, which takes some of the magic out of what they do. The truth is, they're still regular folk under the designer clothes, and regardless of how many tens of hundreds of millions they might have in the bank, or what they have, the number of exotic vehicles they have in the garage, but they don't act or sound like it quite as much. So it can hit a fan in a weird way when one of them asks that they be treated like everybody else in the face of all these other things that they have that make them very much not like anybody else. Because they're okay with not being treated like everybody else on a regular basis. So it all becomes a bit confusing and creates a disconnect. And they go, oh, I, hey, I just want to be <laughs> treated like the next person. And yet, the life that you are displaying does not look like the life of the next person. What you're highlighting makes it look like something that most people cannot relate to. And that disconnect is dangerous. And you know why? Because doing something extraordinary in and of itself is not something that captures our imagination or creates an appetite for seeing more of it. Look, there are computers and robots that can do extraordinary things. Do we root for them? Do they enthrall us? No, because they're extraordinary objects doing extraordinary things. It doesn't surprise us. Maybe initially, see a, a robot shooting from midcourt over and over again. But you kind of look at it and go, yeah, you can calibrate that. Makes sense. Okay, next. I'm not going to watch that over and over again. They're doing what we reasonably expect them to do. It's when we think someone is ordinary, or at least ordinary and like us in almost every way, but then they do something extraordinary. That's what blows us away. That's what gets us coming back for more. Because we'd like to think that in spite of all our ordinary features and characteristics, that some way, somehow, someday, we might do something extraordinary as well. It's inspiring. And that's what's at stake here. As players appear to live lives where nothing is too extravagant, nothing is too outrageous. So, when they do something extravagant, outrageous on the field of play or on a court, we look at it, we think, well, yeah, they're living extraordinary lives. They're doing extraordinary things. Don't see what that has that's relatable to me. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball, 
on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And I'm debating what I'm going to do in the next episode. It may be a recount of the Christmas Day games and what we learned, although that feels a little bit dated. Uh, in spite of the fact that the Atlanta Hawks made a move on their team president, Travis Slank, several days even before Christmas, I don't think that's dated because no one has discussed how extraordinary it is that a team like the Hawks would push their team president into an advisory role at this point in the season. And what it means, from what I've heard, about the future of Trey Young and the relationships within that organization. I think all that's very important because the Atlanta Hawks are a very young, exciting team. And yet, there's some palace intrigue going on there that no one has touched. And I may have to dive into why no one has touched it. So, look for that in an upcoming episode, if not in the next one. In the meantime, I hope your holidays are bright and full of joy. And until the next time, thanks for listening. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.